Welcome to the Black Doctor Collective Podcast. We as Black doctors are in a unique position. We can change our communities, healthcare, and the world. Of course, we start by changing the way we see and value ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Shanika Horn, pediatrician and physician coach, travel extraordinaire. I am so happy to have you here and listening. So let's get into it. Dear Santa, I can explain pajamas just for this episode. <laughs> Welcome. Merry Christmas. I hope that you guys are having an amazing week. I was thinking about what to do for this episode. It's the last episode of the year. And I was like, oh, I'll just do a year in review and talk about everything that's happened over the last year. And then I started making a list of all the things that I had gone through and what was going on in my life. And I realized that I actually need to make this episode about how negotiation has changed my life. So y'all are going to get all the stories about how and when I have used negotiation to get some things done, honey. Um, Negotiation was how I made it through the pandemic without doing full-time clinic as a fellow. I feel like that statement in and of itself is crazy because not doing clinic as a fellow, also during a pandemic, wild. Negotiations was how I learned to love medicine again. After I was convinced that I would never practice general pediatrics again, it's how I finished this most recent assignment. I just came off an assignment in Manhattan on Friday and I was only there working two days a week and I could afford to work two days a week and still pay all my bills because I negotiated for a good rate. I was reflecting and I'm like, oh, I have never worked full time since I came out of training. I have never done a single night shift I was thinking I hadn't done a weekend shift, but that's not true. I actually did a couple when I was working at the refugee camp on the second phase, but that's because I still wasn't working full-time. When I think about my career, when I left fellowship, I just knew I was not going to be a general pediatrician because I thought general pediatrics meant I was going to be a workhorse who always stayed late did copious paperwork, and was dumped on by other subspecialties. To me, it looked like weekend calls, arguing with residents over terrible notes, staying late to chart. It pretty much looked like a career in academics where I remember my attendings had attitudes when the residents reached out on a weekend or at night because they were on call, but they didn't want to be. And that's what I thought general pediatrics was going to be like. I realized it's because my attendings portrayed this and probably did not negotiate anything and they hated it. They complained about everything a lot and nothing changed. And that's what led me after residency or towards the end of residency into applying for a global health fellowship. I mean, besides the lure of the global health work, which usually sounds adventurous, 
and very satisfying. It was also delaying my decision about general pediatrics. The program I applied to for fellowship was two years long where we switched sites every six months. So my sites were in Navajo Nation in Arizona and Liberia. Funny enough, if you've listened to this podcast for some time, you'll know that the story, the full story about how Liberia was not my initial site. I was offered India. In fact, all pediatric grads, pediatric trainees, anyone applying to this fellowship, because you could apply from any specialty, everyone that did pediatrics was told that they were going to go to the site in Arizona and then India. And so just quick summary of that story. I spoke to the fellow who was currently in India and she was explaining to me about how she was on call 24 seven. A lot of infants were dying because of the lack of hospital infrastructure. She was a female alone and required accompaniment everywhere she needed to go. And she had reported some of this to the fellowship and to the institution. And they were talking about that they were working on changes that should have probably been made immediately regarding her schedule because working 24 hours, being on call for the hospital and then still going to clinic every day, that's crazy. And so when I heard this and I realized I was not willing to travel around the world to sit and watch babies die and be alone in that space and not have support, I initially turned down the fellowship and said that I'd also spoken to the fellow in Liberia who was seemed to have a much better balanced schedule. So when I turned them down, I said, hey, listen, this is not a good fit for me. Here's why. These are my concerns after having spoken to the fellow. However, I see that you guys are running a very successful program in Liberia. I would love to do that if there's availability for me. If not, thank you for the opportunity. It's been great. I was willing to walk away. So anyway, it worked out in the end where they were able to accommodate me into Liberia and basically negotiated my way into a spot in Liberia where they had not had pediatricians there before, only family med or med peds, I believe. And I could have let those facts stop me from asking. I could have said they only have one spot for pediatricians. And so there's no point in saying what it is would be a good alternative for me. Another thing I, I mentioned pretty frequently on this podcast is the option to say no and. So no, I don't want this thing. And what I would really like instead is. And that's where I actually derived that initial framework from. It's a framework now, but just that concept was from this moment, right? Of saying what I wanted instead. And then I was able to get it. People can't give you what they don't know you want. I think also we stop ourselves from asking, and this is the part of negotiation most people overlook, convincing yourself. I realize how easy it is not to say anything. For me, it's easy for me to talk myself out of things. I'm an excellent finder of evidence of why it won't work out. I have a brain that tends to drift towards catastrophe, right? I catastrophize a lot and I've, I'm working on it. I'm trying not to do that anymore. And when I do it, I catch myself. Anyway, but I have had a habit for a long time of practicing tragedy or practicing for disaster. And in negotiation, it looks like me asking for something and getting turned down or having my offer rescinded 
or being labeled difficult or having some having it impact me in such a negative way that it makes me not ask at all. Do y'all do this? Do y'all talk yourselves out of asking for things? I feel like this is a pretty common thing that happens in our brain and why when I talk about negotiation, I say it's not an isolated thing. It is really about doing things that shift you out of that space of talking yourself out of things. When I started fellowship in Arizona, I was fulfilling the role of an attending, but on a fellowship salary. That's how the fellowship worked is that we were filling the spaces where they needed attending support, but through this program. I immediately hated the lack of autonomy, the idea of being told how to practice, how many patients to see, the expectation to do extra unpaid labor. I hated when the department chief made a call schedule that barely included him and how it allowed him copious vacation time when it was supposed to be this equitable system. It's not to say that he had more allotment than the rest of us. He just took it. I think one of the things for me that made a huge difference was they were not invested in academic learning. There was no medium for learning, which for me as a first time attending right out of residency was not the kind of environment I knew I needed to be in. They were not upholding standards of care. And I felt complicit in a system that could potentially be harming an already at-risk population, which is the Navajo population, this indigenous population, who to me, I felt was very similar to the black population in this country. And so being complicit did not sit well with me. And I reported a lot of these things to my fellowship and no one did anything. So within four months, I was absolutely ready to quit. You're in fellowship, like you've signed a contract for at least the year, if not both years, and you're a fellow. So trainees, I feel like in medicine are really disempowered. And so I felt powerless. My one hope was that we change sites every six months. So I was going to leave for Liberia by that following January. I started in August, July. So I knew that six months away would be good for me. And then I was hoping that it would give me enough time to figure out how not to return to Arizona. Both my other co-fellows who were with me at that same time were having similar issues with the hospital system. They were in different department than me, but having equally terrible, probably even worse experiences than I was having. And one of them had been told not to come back through no fault of her own, but also a blessing because I wish someone would have told me not to come back because I didn't want to be there and was transferred to another site, a better site. And so she was leaving. I think the other fellow was potentially leaving considering not coming back at all or being switched. And I was like, okay, I need to figure out how I also need to get out of here. So I left for Liberia thinking, okay, I got six solid months to figure this out. Then here came along coronavirus. COVID hit three months into that year. And my program, after much back and forth, another story for another day, ended up retracting the fellows from their international sites, but very few stayed. 
majority of the fellows were recalled from their international sites. So my period of respite and my period of time to figure things out was done. And I'd figured out nothing. I want to highlight that sometimes too much time is not a good thing. We think that we need to sit and ruminate and reflect and ponder and research but some of the best decisions are made when you just don't have any more time. So I hadn't figured anything out. I'd been there for three months. By grace, because of COVID, the hospital in Arizona had significantly reduced their patient services. And so they weren't able to place me back there for the remainder of that six month period. They were planning to have me come back in July, but from April through June, I didn't have a place to go. And so I was sent to a new hospital in the same community, still in Navajo Nation, but just about 40 minutes away across the state line in New Mexico. And I was so relieved because again, I thought, oh, I still got I still ended up with a few more months to figure out a plan. I went there and their plan for me was not to do clinical medicine. It was to do public health outreach and develop a public health program because I had a degree in public health and that was the need because of COVID. And so I spent about a month working with the CDC and Doctors Without Borders who were on site collecting data from the, like, the way COVID was spreading across the reservation and created a program for drive-through testing across the reservation. And also due to the shortage of PPE, I created a program for collecting donations for lots of PPE and, and masks and things that people were sending that wanted to send to the hospital, but the hospital had no form, no pathway to do that. So I created two programs and I funneled one into the other. So I used all the donated stuff, especially the cloth masks as giveaways at our drive-through testing that allowed additional protection for people who were having a hard time accessing masks and also a space for testing, a space for education in a way that I believe slowed down the spread and probably saved a significant number of lives across the reservation. So I did this work and I ended up working so well with the staff there and with the CMO directly in New Mexico and creating this critical role that when it came time, getting close to June, when I was supposed to return to Arizona and they were ready and willing and excited to take me back to that place. The CMO from my new hospital reached out to my program and requested that I stayed. They allotted budget for me. They created a role for me. In fact, they hadn't had any pa pediatric fellows there up until that point. And they created a role for pediatric fellows to then be there. So after they negotiated a way for me to stay, I didn't stop there. I wasn't just, oh, I'm so grateful that they made a space for me to be here. I'll do anything. Nope. When they asked me to return to clinic, I negotiated not to return to clinic full time. I think I committed to maybe three half days of clinic and then continued to run my program, which is where I was really finding deep fulfillment. I committed to that instead. You would have thought that I would have been super grateful just to be there and to 
comply with whatever they said, but I was really passionate about the work I was doing on the public health front, and I knew I couldn't do both, and I was not willing to give it up. And it was the first time that I felt control over my schedule and over my time. I was not working on Fridays or weekends. I wasn't doing calls, but I was making huge impact and having such a good sense of fulfillment. And I was part of their incident command center and running a strike team. Like it was just an amazing time and an amazing job for me. At the end of that, at the end of fellowship, I was even more convinced that primary care was not for me. So when I left fellowship, I left without a job plan. I spent the next two months exploring what was going on in the medical environment, what people were complaining about and seeing if there was any potential solution. And I initially thought, okay, I can't do this on an individual level. So I have to look at the systemic problems that are happening. And that's what I was focused on when I started The Black Doctor. How do we fix the system, right? Because we as individuals are struggling. Shortly after, I guess two months into my return home, I started a locum's assignment. Yes, because I needed money. I was obviously six figures in debt and I had not earned a full attending salary. But also it was because the job posting that popped up, it was in a Facebook group, believe it or not, was for work that I was genuinely interested in. It was work at an Afghan refugee camp. I actually contacted the locums company and said, hey, I heard you guys are hiring for this. And that's how I ended up becoming a locums and getting credentialed. I think it would have been really easy for me to say, oh, this too is meaningful work. Let me commit fully because they were looking for full-time employees. But I also knew that I was burnt out and I wasn't interested in doing all the things. And so I made a very conscious choice not to commit to something, hoping that it would work out, like hoping because the work is different that I won't feel the same burnout and anguish that I felt in these previous jobs, really just over committing. I think that, again, mentally, I was in a space where I recognized that although I enjoyed patient care, I didn't enjoy the system. And so I was trying to be as cautious as, po as possible. I negotiated four-day work weeks, no weekends, no call. I negotiated for a really good hotel room because I knew I was going to be there. At that time, the plan had been, it was for like three months or something. I think I signed on for two months and said I would extend. But I negotiated for a hotel room with a kitchen. Not everybody had that apparently. I negotiated for what I felt was a good hourly rate. I didn't have the experience I have now, which is that rate was actually on the lower end. It was high, but on the lower end. And so I went into that negotiating, trying to save myself and to make some income, but not thinking that negotiation was the tool. Still, I didn't recognize it for what it was. It was like in these certain isolated incidents, I had been negotiating and getting what I wanted, but I didn't see it as the tool. 
Since then, obviously, I have kept negotiating. I kept negotiating out of, uh, after that. And I realized that is what has afforded me the lifestyle that I have. I have always been a traveler. But my travel game is peak, okay? In total, over the course of my life, I've been to maybe 27 countries. I've been traveling since I was one, right? But in the past two years, I've been to 10 countries. And some of them were repeat from before. They're not all 10 new countries, but still that's a significant increase where I was going to maybe one place every couple of years or maybe once a year. My travel game, like I said, is just really hitting its peak. It's funny because I just came off an assignment on Friday and the doctor whose clinic I've been covering asked me, why locums? Why did I go through the locums agency as opposed to a direct contract? Because he had posted the job on one of these job search sites, a pretty famous one. And I hadn't seen it there. I had gotten it through the agencies. I was talking to him about it and I'm like, yes, locums agencies do skim off the top a lot, but also the perks right now really work for me. So at baseline, I, I am expected to negotiate my schedule, my pay, the holiday pay, the call rate, or even if I do call. The travel perks are phenomenal. So like I said, I'm a traveler. I really enjoy travel. It has been a part of my life for forever. It's something I want to be a part of my life forever. So getting the opportunity to live in a bunch of different states, to stay in these places, hotels for free while I was accumulating hotel points. That I mean, I'm Marriott ambassador. I'm Hilton platinum status. Did you know that a Marriott ambassador comes with an actual personal ambassador? I have a direct line to an individual who is responsible for taking care of my needs. That's crazy to me. Rich people are out here just living their best, okay? So the fact that I'm able to travel to 10 countries in two years, some of those places I didn't have to pay for the hotel at all because I had so many points and I had so much status. It's not just because I chose the locums route that I have this lifestyle, though. It is because I am a negotiator. There are many locums docs on the Facebook forums who are on there complaining about their hotels or angry at the low pay rates, angry at being gaslit by the recruiters who are basically no better than glorified salesmen, these recruiters. But negotiation is what makes a difference. It is literally the best tool. There's always a discussion about the systemic reasons that we're underpaid. You see it in medicine, especially women-led specialties, especially amongst Black people, Black women, amongst celebrities. We just saw Taraji P. Henson go viral for reporting the significant pay gap between her and her co-actors. Viola Davis has been talking about this for years. People blasted Monique when she talked about it for a Netflix special. And they basically told her that she wasn't deserving of what she was asking for. Listen, I agree. We have major systemic issues. And I also agree that we as individuals have a role to play. It cannot all fall on the correcting the system because even when it is the system and it's problematic, that is not a reason for us not to ask. 
I hear so many reasons why people refuse to make their wants and needs known. Racism, sexism, these are very real, okay? There is no doubt in my mind. But when you are using that reason against yourself, I actually think it is very harmful, okay? If we are saying that we cannot ask because their tool is working on us even better, this is actually how these tools are designed to work. It's to convince everyone of an identity so that you conform to it and so that the top percentage can keep skimming off the top. The few ruling elite can maintain their status if everyone buys into this description. If you keep yourself back, if you keep yourself down, if you tell yourself they won't give it to you anyway, you are actively participating in racism and sexism. That's harsh, but it's so real. It's so true. We are using these tools that have been weaponized against us and using them on ourselves. I think once I realized that and I had that moment, I was like, oh, absolutely not. So this is my Christmas wish for you all, that we take negotiations a lot more seriously that we learn this skill and we use it over the course of our lives to challenge the status quo, to push the envelope, to get what we want, to demand change, make tweaks, whatever. That we even ask, even when we've told ourselves that it's unreasonable, the fact that I negotiated my way out of both of my fellowship sites changed the path of the pediatric fellows after me. Talk about status quo. Only one fellow, MedPeds fellow, returned to that Arizona site after me, and it was because she had already been committed there. No one else went there afterwards. I ran into one of the doctors from that site at the last pediatrics conference, and he was telling me that I should let the fellowship know that they would really be happy to have fellows again, as if I would ever advocate on a program that treated fellows so terribly. No more Pete's fellows went to India either. They all went to Liberia after me. You don't know the impact of what you're negotiating. I was negotiating for myself, but again, the impact. When you are fighting for things that you believe to be good and true, there is so much impact. I'm sure there's impact beyond what I even know. I just happen to know these few things. When I negotiated for a four-day work week at my first locum assignment, many of the docs I worked with also negotiated their schedules and changed so that they didn't feel overworked. I met a pediatrician who was working for $80 or $90 an hour, and I talked her into quitting that position and renegotiating for higher rates. And when they wouldn't give it to her, she moved on to another assignment where she then worked for a higher rate. You don't know what the impact of your negotiation will be. There is so much power there, though. So many things changed for me when I realized that. Even my self-trust. I don't have all the answers. The point of self-trust is not that you will have all the answers or you'll know the exact right thing to do, but it's that you will be kind and respectful to yourself regardless as to the outcome of the efforts. I know that in negotiating, I may not always get what I want, but what is the kindest thing I can do for myself? What is the most respectful way I can treat myself? That's the direction I'm going in. So I'm going to ask you 
to ask for things that protect you, regardless of as to how unreasonable, quote unquote, they might seem. Guaranteed, if you're thinking that something sounds unreasonable, you're one of those people that shouldn't worry about that, right? If you're worried about doing the wrong things, generally you're doing things out of the goodness of your heart or the kindness. People who are bad people who are truly unreasonable aren't considering any of those, by the way. And I certainly would never be the one to talk you out of asking for something. I'm here for all the shenanigans, okay? The first time I shenaned, I knew I'd shenanigan. Yes, laugh at my corny joke. Thanks. I can confidently say that if you currently hate your job, if you want to change jobs, if you want to quit medicine altogether, I can help you. It's not about the condition. It's about you, the individual, and how you're going to choose to move towards getting what you want. I created the Any Day Negotiator to teach skills that get results. It will shift the way you practice. It will shift the way you live. Negotiation is communication. It's sales. It's how you interview. It's how you present yourself. It's how you interact in all of your relationships in every setting. It's anytime you care about something, you desire something, and you need to communicate that. It is the tool. It is the key. It's the answer. Do you feel my belief in this? It is everything. So... To all my early career doctors out there who know that they are in need of the tools to get what they want, I invite you to join my Any Day Negotiator program. It is the difference between stumbling along through a career, trying to figure out how to get what you want and having actual steps, a path, milestones, successes, most importantly, successes. If you're interested in this program and you want to get on a call with me, I want you to DM me on Instagram at the black doctor, the BLK doctor at any time. And I'm really already looking forward to talking with you. I hope you have a very Merry Christmas, happy Kwanzaa, happy Hanukkah, whatever you celebrate, and also a happy new year. So I will talk to you in 2024. Have a great week. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe to the podcast. And what I want you to do next is write a review. I'm going to make this so easy for you. Just go ahead and give me five stars, but also leave a comment that tells me how we can be off the charts. I want you to link us everywhere you can. Instagram at the Black Doctor, the Black Doctor website to join our newsletter. Just become part of our collective. I want you here. Thanks. Until next time. Bye. Mm-hmm.